Well, amen and happy Father's Day. I've tried to tell as uh, many of the dads this morning, happy Father's Day, including my own dad, the grill master, who uh, we're going to give a break from the grill this evening. Um, I thought that meant that Toby was going to work the grill this evening, but I think that uh, we have other plans in store. But uh, anybody else have a dad who's the grill master? Anybody? All right. I noticed my kids didn't raise their hands there, did they? So. <laughs> They're probably thinking, bless his heart, he tries. <laughs> uh, I love Father's Day. I love dads. And I'm grateful that Scripture shows us that God reveals Himself to us as a father. And uh, today I want us to think about, for a moment, what men think. <laughs> uh, I've titled the message this morning, um, a, a title that some of you may have seen and our Trinity Crew uh, Facebook group, Think Like a Real Man. And I've since added these two words, of God. I want to think like a man of God. And it's, it's hard to tell anymore what men are thinking or how men think, but if you want to find your Bible and flip or turn... On your Bible, if that be the case this morning. When I say that, thank you for standing in honor of reading God's Word. When I say turn your Bible on, I realize that we live in a world today, thank God that they can uh, have the Bible uh, on apps and other things. And so if, young people, if that's sort of what you're used to, it don't bother me so much. Just be sure that you, you know, you're not uh, breaking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend or texting somebody or playing video games. Um, but, you know, if you're tweeting, Pastor Robbie just said the coolest thing, then I probably would forgive that. But, but uh, try to stay there on the Word of God when you turn your Bible apps on. Uh, for the rest of us, we can flip to Philippians, right? Chapter 2. And I want us to begin reading in verse 5, which is part of this great Christological hymn. We're going to read the first half of it. We need to identify with Christ and His attitude. And then I'm going to ask you to Look across the page or maybe turn the page to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. The Apostle Paul writing church Philippi says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, there is any praise dwell on these things. Father, we give You praise and thanks this morning for not only revealing Your thoughts to us in Your Word, but for instructing us how to think. And may we be guided by revealed truth from You, not by this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We talk about men thinking this morning. How many of you realize that sometimes men just have a hard time thinking things through? I read the story of a 
little boy, about three years old, who had come to his parents sobbing and crying. He was in tears. He had accidentally swallowed a penny. And he thought that as a result of swallowing that penny, that he was sure to die. He thought that that was going to be the end of his life. And he's crying. He said, I swallowed a penny. I'm going to die. No matter what the parents said, they couldn't persuade him. But dad, being clever, reached in his pocket, took out a penny without his son seeing it, reached into the son's ear and said, wow, I just pulled this penny out of your ear. See, you're not going to die. And the boy said, that's cool. Grabbed the penny, put it in his mouth, swallowed it and said, do it again, dad. Do it again. (laughs) Sometimes we don't think things through. A dad won a raffle one time where he was presented with this nice toy to give to his kid. The problem is he had four kids. And he was trying to decide which one to give it to. And he thought that he had made up his mind. He thought that one kid had been really good that week. Uh, His wife had really bragged on this kid. So he goes home, he summons the four kids, and he says, Now who has always obeyed mom, who never talks back to her, who rushes to do anything mom asks so that she doesn't get upset. And all four kids walked away and said, Okay, Dad, you can keep the toy. Sometimes dads don't think things through so well. Nothing like the male ego when it comes to a man's thought life either. The question has been asked, how many men does it take to change a light bulb? Anybody know the answer to that? It takes one man. All he has to do is hold it into the socket and wait for the world to revolve around him. Right? The male ego sometimes. The men didn't think that one was as funny as the other ones. Women sometimes worry about what men are thinking, and I've tried to explain that usually when a woman is worried about what a man is thinking, he's not. You know, what were you thinking? He wasn't. Uh, Men sometimes struggle with areas of their thought life. If there has ever been a time that it's difficult to figure out what men are thinking in the world, it's today. And, And the women can say amen to that, but men, as they look at one another, as they, as they, read the newspaper or scroll the news websites as they take control of that remote and flip the channels, it's hard to tell what men are thinking anymore. Psalm 23 and verse 7 says this, though, about a man's thoughts. It says, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. As a man thinks within himself, so is he. So often that which we think about, that which we meditate on, that which governs our thought life leads to our actions. So as we think in our hearts, so we are. Addressing the church at Philippi, keep in mind this was during this flesh-driven period of the Roman Empire where men's thoughts and, and all of the depravity and all the corruption was being revealed from their thoughts through their actions all around the church. And so Uh, Being called to the disciple life, the Christian life, was something that would have been considered radical during this time. The Apostle Paul preaching and planning and and, and discipling these churches in the Roman Empire. And and so he writes this letter to Philippi, and it's a scripture, by the way, ladies, that's intended for all believers, the book of Philippians, teaching us how to find uh, joy and rejoicing in the midst of all the persecution, in the midst of a world that is very anti-everything that we are. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we uh, open this book of Philippians, remember that even though the thoughts of our world around us are hard to discern and, and seemingly out of control sometimes, God still says in the midst of that, we can find joy, 
we can find peace through His Son, Jesus Christ, through a relationship with Him, and through the application of His Word. So he's writing to all believers. But this morning I want to make specific application primarily to Christian men. How do we think like real men of God? How do we think like real men of God? So as we look at each text, I think there's a couple of guidelines for us that we can embrace. And the first one is this. Real man thinking is guided by a selfless attitude. Real man, the man that God wants you to be, the man that God wants me to be, as a father and as a husband, as a man of God, is guided by a selfless attitude. Philippians 2 and verse 5, we looked at a moment ago, says, let this mind, or some translations like the one we're looking at, this attitude, it's speaking of a way of thinking, a mindset, if you will, let this mind be in you, which was ultimately modeled by who? Which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus gave us the example of what manhood, what being a real man is all about. And it was real man thinking that won the day in his life that led to real man actions even all the way to a cross. Jesus is the one that, uh, as Robert Lewis in his Men Fraternity Bible Studies points out, rejected passivity, accepted responsibility, led courageously, and lived for the greater reward. And so we see this in verses 6-8 through eight in this passage. He existed in the form of God. Within the, the, the triune God, within the Trinity, here is God the Son, who did not consider equality with God something to be used for His own advantage. Instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a slave. Taking the likeness of men, He became one of us. John 1 puts it this way, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. The message says the Word moved into our neighborhood. He took on flesh and dwelt among us, becoming a man to show us, ultimately, to pay the price for our sins, but He showed us what real man living was all about. He came as a man in His external form, humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even the death on a cross. Real men put others first. Jesus could have stepped into this world and demanded His rights. But instead, He said, a relationship between God's creation, the the people that He created and the people that He loves, a relationship between them and, and, and the God who created them is so important. I'm laying aside my rights for the sake of the relationship. And if we're going to think like real men, then we need to, instead of demanding our rights, we need to be willing to lay that aside for the sake of relationships. That may mean restoring some relationships. That means that we are willing to die a little every day to put our wives first, to put our children first, to take care of their needs, to meet our responsibilities. Men, for the first time, I believe that I've ever noticed, even in my lifetime, are starting to be guided more by their emotions, more by their feelings, 
than by logic, and certainly than by revealed truth. The truth of God's Word. This has never really happened before. And it's been said before that, speaking of men in the past, that greatest generation, that when it comes to men and emotions, that women would make statements like this, men are a lot like mascara. When things get a little bit emotional, they start to run. They don't like to be around emotions. That's kind of changing. Now let's be honest about something. There's a bad side and a good side to that. The good side is that most emotions are wonderful servants. And so perhaps we're seeing more men learn to care and be caring, to be loving, to be sensitive. Those grandfathers and great-grandfathers who you're like, man, when they were a dad, they weren't so sensitive. But now that they have grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they're being sensitive for the first time. Understanding we need men who can laugh. We need men who can cry. We need men who can show affection. Men, show your children affection. Don't let that son be too cool to give you a big hug in front of everybody. Hug those daughters. If, in fact, if men do not show their daughters the proper affection... They will look for somebody in their life to show them improper affection. So show affection. Laugh, cry, understand, be sensitive, be loving, be caring. Emotions are wonderful servants. In fact, in this passage preceding what we just read a moment ago, Paul speaks out of that feeling when he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy to King James uses the word bowels there. <laughs> it's kind of strange, but I, I imagine in uh, uh, the uh, Elizabethan English of that day that perhaps that meant the seed of the emotions where you feel things in your gut. It's okay to have those feelings. Fulfill my joy, he says, by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. So, Paul has already said it's okay to feel and there needs to be some feelings that you experience in life because these emotions, these feelings are wonderful servants. But let me give you the other side of that. Emotions and feelings are horrible masters. They're horrible masters. When we are guided by our feelings instead of truth, it can lead to depression, apathy, sinful passions, jealousy, destructive habits and the neglect of disciplines and responsibilities because we will come to a place in life where we say, I know what I ought to be doing, but I simply don't feel like it. I know what God's Word says the man of God needs to be active doing in his life, but right now I just don't feel like it. Most young children can tell you that if they ever tell their parents they're not going to do something because they don't feel like it, that their parents have the ability to change the way they feel at that moment. So we can't be guided by our feelings, our emotions. It's okay for, for that to be an overflow of what God is doing in us and for the emotions to be servants. But don't let the emotions be masters. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus, men, did Jesus feel like going to the cross? Absolutely not. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there be any other way, let this cup be passed from me. But then, with His face like a flint toward the cross, He got up and did what He was called to do, not what He felt like doing. Crucified life is no longer considered courageous. But instead, 
Men are being called courageous in the world today when they follow their emotions, when they follow their feelings, when they follow their heart. You know the danger of, of hearing all these motivational speeches about follow your heart. Just go wherever your heart leads. Do what your heart says do. Whether the world says it's right or wrong, whether the Bible says it's right or wrong, just follow your heart. Well, Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. We can't get our mind around it. So when we follow our heart, we can walk down destructive paths for us and for our family. So when a man's sin-fallen heart says, you know, I think I want to be a woman. Most of you men will never struggle with that. But when a man's sin-fallen heart says, I think rather than be a man, I want to be a woman, the world celebrates and calls that courageous. Not the crucified life, not I'll die to myself and my emotions and my feelings and be who God created and called me to be, but I'll just follow my heart and do what I feel like doing. The world celebrates. But Proverbs 14.12 warns us there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Leads to death. That's why the majority of transgendered, former men, whatever you want to call it, struggle with suicidal thoughts every day. And as the church, we're not here to beat them up, but to love them. And it's unloving for us not to help them and to teach them the truth, to teach our boys the truth at an early age. God created you to be his child to grow to be a man of God. Let's not be confused about who God created us to be, but when our feelings and truth don't match up to go with what God has revealed to us in His Word, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you by the mercies of God to give or present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Remember verse 2, don't be conformed to this world in its way of thinking, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How are we transformed, Paul? By the renewing of your mind. As a man thinks, so is he. As a man thinks, so is he. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God for your life. So we need our minds to be guided by this selfless attitude that says, I want to follow the example of Christ. But secondly, this morning, I want us to see in verse 8 of chapter 4, and keep in mind that in the original manuscript, you didn't have the verse numbers and chapter numbers. It was a letter. And as it flowed, Paul says, I'm building towards something. This humiliation of Christ in chapter 2 is followed by the exaltation of Christ. God has highly exalted Him. But He humbled Himself, but God exalted Him, gave Him that name that was above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. In chapter 3, Paul says, and this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, in verse 10, my goal is to know Him, speaking of Jesus, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead, that pinnacle leads to practice in chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, as I want you to get this, real man thinking is grounded in sanctified attributes. Real man thinking is not only guided by a selfless attitude, but it is grounded 
in some of these what we call sanctified attributes. What, what governs your thought life this morning, men? What governs your thought life? He, he's addressing brothers here. He says, brothers, and by the way, again, I believe these attributes need to be applied by women and by men, but if we're ever in a period where men are confused and, and women are confused, and ladies, you're like, man, I don't think I will ever figure out what my man is thinking. Before we break this verse down, let me just kind of present the problem as uh, Dave Barry. He's not necessarily a devout Christian, but he does write a lot of good stuff about men's issues. He talks about the, the way men and women think differently. He said, let's say a guy named Roger is attracted to a woman named Elaine. He asks her out to a movie. And she accepts. They have a pretty good time. A few nights later, he asks her out to dinner. And again, they enjoy themselves. They continue to see each other regularly, and after a while, neither one of them is seeing anybody else. It's become an exclusive relationship here. Then one evening, when they're driving home, a thought occurs to Elaine. And without really thinking, she says out loud, any women ever done that before? Did I say that out loud? Without thinking, she said out loud, do you realize that as of tonight, we've been seeing each other for exactly six months? Then there's silence in the car. To Elaine, it seems like a very loud silence. She thinks to herself, geez, I wonder if it bothers him that I said that. Maybe he's been feeling confined in our relationship. Maybe he thinks I'm trying to push him into some kind of obligation that he doesn't want or, or, or isn't sure of. And Roger is thinking... Six months? And Elaine is thinking, <laughs> but hey, I'm not sure if I want this kind of relationship either. Sometimes I wish I had a little more space so I'd have time to think about whatever I really want us to keep going the same way we are, moving steadily forward. I mean, where are we going? Are we just going to keep seeing each other at this same level of intimacy? Are we heading toward marriage, toward children, toward a lifetime together? Am I ready for that level of commitment? Do I really know this person? And Roger is thinking, uh, so that means, let's see, February when we started going out, which was right after I had the car at the dealer's, which means, uh, let me check the odometer here. Whoa, I am way overdue for an oil change. And Elaine is thinking, he's upset. I can see it on his face. Maybe I'm reading this completely wrong. Maybe he wants more from our relationship, more intimacy, more commitment. Maybe he has sensed, even before I sensed it, that I was feeling some reservations. Yes, I bet that's it. That's why he's so reluctant to say anything about his own feelings. He's afraid of being rejected. And Roger is thinking, I'm going to have to ask them to look at that transmission again. I don't care what those morons say. It's still not shifting right. And they better not try to blame it on the cold weather this time. What cold weather? It's been 87 degrees out. This thing is shifting like a garbage truck. I paid those incompetent thieves $600 for this transmission. Now Elaine is thinking, he's angry. And I don't blame him, I'd be angry too. I feel so guilty putting, putting him through this. But I can't help the way I feel. I'm just not sure. And Roger is thinking they'll probably say it's only a 90-day warranty. Warranty. 90 days. That's exactly what they're going to say. Those scumballs. 
Elena's thinking, maybe I'm too idealistic, waiting for the knight to come riding up on his white horse when I'm sitting right next to a perfectly good person, a person I enjoy being with, a person I truly do care about, a person who seems to truly care about me, a person who is in pain right now because of my self-centered schoolgirl romantic fantasy. Roger's still thinking, warranty. I'll give them a warranty. I'll take their warranty and I'll... Roger, Elaine says. What, says Roger? Startled. Please don't torture yourself like this. She says with her eyes beginning to brim with tears, maybe I should have never... Oh, I feel so... She breaks down crying. What? Says Roger. I'm such a fool, Elaine says. I mean, I know there's no night. I know that. It's silly. There's no night. There's no horse. No horse? Says Roger. You think I'm a fool, don't you, Elaine says. No, says Roger. Glad to finally get the correct answer. It's just that, it's just that I need some time, Elaine says. Then there's another long pause. Roger says, yes? Oh, Roger, do you really feel that way? What way? That way about me. That way about time. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, says Roger. She turns to him, gazes deeply in his eyes, causing him to become very nervous about what she might say next, especially if it involves a horse. And at last she speaks. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, says Roger. <laughs> then he takes her home. She lies on her bed, conflicted, tortured soul, and weeps until sun up. Whereas when Roger gets back to his place, he opens a bag of Doritos, turns on the TV, immediately becomes deeply involved in a rerun of tennis between two Czechoslovakians that he's never heard of. A tiny voice in the far recesses of his mind tells him that something major was going on back there in the car, but he is pretty sure there is no way he would ever understand it. And if so, he figures it's better if he doesn't. Even think about it. The next day, Elaine will call her closest friend, or perhaps two of them, and they will talk about this situation for six straight hours in painstaking detail. They will analyze everything she said and everything he said going over it again and again, exploring every word, expression, gesture, nuances of meaning, considering every possible ramification. They will continue to discuss this subject off and on for weeks, maybe months, never reaching any definite conclusions, but never getting bored with it either. Meanwhile, Roger, while playing racquetball one day with a mutual friend of his and Elaine's, will pause just before serving. He'll frown and he'll say, Norm, did Elaine ever own a horse? <laughs> what are men thinking? How is that to be guided? Well, Men, we have to stay focused, don't we? We have to have something. We, we need a list. Ladies, if, if you want to get your husband to do more than one thing, give him a list because he'll, more than two, he, his brain just, is, just can't handle that. God gives us a list. He says, whatsoever things are true. Literally, this means not hidden. Those things that are revealed. This isn't the power of positive thinking. It's the power of right thinking. Psalm chapter 19 describes the power of God's Word and enlightening our eyes and our understanding. So men, real men, need to spend time 
in the Word of God on a regular basis. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable. Some translations say noble here. In the pastoral epistles, when Paul uses this word, it's usually translated worthy of respect. Fathers want respect. But I believe God is saying to us in His Word, if we want respect, we need to think honorable thoughts. Thoughts worthy of respect. Guided by a way of thinking that when others know what's going on up here, they would say that is a thought life that's worthy of respect. Just is the next word. Just is, is the ability to treat people right. Right thinking. In your business, being known as a man who does right thinking and treats people right. In your marriage, doing what is right. In how you handle and discipline and encourage your kids. Do what is right. That's so important in their lives. And it's been said so often that girls will grow up to marry a man who treats them much like their father treated their mother or their father treated them growing up. Right treatment. Whatsoever things are pure. The word pure, clean, and clear. Free of defilement. So we need to... If we want our lives to be free of defilement, we need to be sure our mind, our thoughts are free of defilement. Being careful of where we go on the television, the internet, how we look at other women and, and around us. We need to be cautious of that. We need to guard that. And ladies, I want to encourage you, help your husbands out in that area. Help other men out in that area. That's why God gives principles of modesty for women. I know that there's an argument now, especially in, in the feminist movements, well, women ought to be able to dress any way they want to. Maybe they have that right, but just like men are to lay down their rights and die to self, there are areas where ladies should lay down their rights and say, you know what, I want to help my brother in this matter. Lovely. Prosphilis in the Greek. Toward friendship. Toward this family-type love. Men are not to think hurtful and destructive Thoughts. So when a little 21-year-old, we can only imagine what was going through his mind or what things he had experienced or where he invested his time or energies, does something in this church on Wednesday night at a prayer meeting that might make some men feel like, oh yeah, I'll show them, I'll be the real man. God says, no, that's not a real man. Real men move toward Friendship. Lay aside all destructive behaviors. Desire not to be hurtful toward anyone. We live in a world today, even when boys begin to act like bullies at a young age, often the men, because we want to be tough on the exterior, we come back and we say, well, boys will be boys will be boys. But we're to teach our boys when they are young to move toward friendship. Yes, to be tough, to be strong, to be masculine but like Christ, to show love and move toward love, move toward friendship and brotherly love. Not being hurtful or destructive. The next word, commendable. This is the only use of this word in the New Testament. It has to do with something being of good report. And I'll say this to the, the older men, the younger men, the teenage young men in our church. 
Let your thought life be such that you would want a godly mother to be able to check out what you're thinking, what's going on in your mind up here. You say, well, nobody will ever know what's going on up here. Listen, it will eventually come out in your life. Well, it's dangerous when, when, when kids become teenagers and they start saying, well, I demand my privacy. Stay out of my bedroom. Don't come into my room. It's my room. Respect my privacy. Listen, I, I know that there's a certain level of respect and distance created as you move toward adulthood. However, if dad's paying for the house, it's his house. Your room is his room. Kent has an understanding in our house. We have a guest room. He gets to stay there as long as we don't have company. But if we have company, that's the guest room. And so a mom should be able to walk up, a dad should be able to walk up to any young man and say, let me see your cell phone. Let me check out your computer. Let me see where you're going. Let me put a filter here. Let me guard this in your life. Think on things that are commendable that you would want reported to a godly mom. Moral excellence. Virtuous. That means with standards. The word there, and this is interesting, in the Greek it's arete, which comes from the, a, a verb that is found in Matthew 19 and verse 4, which means distinctively male. Now, when it's used in this form, it means without perversion. Morally excellent. But I thought it's interesting that, that in the root there, he says that uh, in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4, when God created them, He created them male and female. Don't pervert that. God made men to be men. God made women to be women. And if you want to get in on God's best for your life, you will embrace all that that means. And that was in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And then finally, praiseworthy. Words used by Paul for authentic faith in some places and for making the gospel a priority in others. Praiseworthy behavior that prioritizes the things of God. What's foremost on your mind? When it come, dads, when it comes to bringing up the next generation, they can tell what's on our mind. There's the three A's that a lot of us emphasize. Academics, athletics, and the art. Not always in that order. That's why they go to school, right? Academics, athletics, and the arts. We want them to excel in academics, athletics, and the arts. Listen, if they excel in academics, and they're a straight-A student, and they get the scholarships to the greatest universities, if they excel in athletics, and they go on to be an athletic superstar, and they excel in the arts, and they can do things musically or in other areas of the arts that go beyond what we could have ever dreamed, but they fail spiritually, then we have failed. We want them to succeed as men and women of God. And so praiseworthy means prioritizing those things that God calls a priority. Authentic faith in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The world needs real men who will die to self, be guided by a selfless attitude, and men who will be grounded in these sanctified attributes. None of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. Even the Apostle Paul would say, when it comes to this thing called spiritual maturity, I haven't arrived. But I press on toward the high call of God in Christ Jesus. God has called us men to think like real men, to think like real men of God. You bow your heads with me.